0: You open up your Bibles to Ezra, chapter 5, you're looking at verse 6 through chapter 6, verse 15. Starting in Ezra, chapter 5, verse 6, and bear with me, there are some hard names to pronounce in this passage. I will do my very best. And by the way, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I can't... Ezra chapter 5, verse 6. This is the copy of the letter which sent the governor of the province, beyond the river. And Shittad Bonanza and his colleagues, the officials, who were beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent a report to him in which it was written thus, to Darius the king, all peace. Verse 8. Let it be known to the king that we have gone to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God which is being built with huge stones and beams are being laid in the walls. And this work is going on with great care and is succeeding in their hands. Then we asked those elders and said to them thus, who issued you a decree to rebuild this temple and to finish the structure? We also asked them their names so as to inform you and that we might write the names of the men who are at their head. Thus they answered us, saying, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth and are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this house. Also, the gold and silver utensils of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought them to the temple of Babylon. These King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon and they were given to one whose name was Shishabazar, whom he appointed governor. He said to him, take these utensils. Go and deposit them in the temple in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt in its place. Then that Segebesar came and laid the foundations of the house of God in Jerusalem, and from then until now it has been under construction and is not yet completed. Now if it pleases the king, let a search be conducted in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon. If it be that the decree was issued by King Cyrus to rebuild this house of God at Jerusalem and let the king send to us his decision concerning this matter. Chapter six, verse one. Then King Darius issued a decree and a search was made in the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon. In Abeta in the fortress, which is in the province of Medea, a scroll was found and there it was written on it as follows. Memorandum. In the first year of King Cyrus, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the temple, the place where sacrifices are offered, be rebuilt and let its foundations be retained, its heights being 60 cubits and its width 60 cubits, with three layers of huge stones and one layer of timbers, and let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. Also, let the gold and silver utensils of the house of God which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be returned and brought to their places in the temple in Jerusalem. And you shall put them in the house of God. Now, therefore, Tetaniah, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethrobanazah and your colleagues, the officials of the provinces beyond the river, keep away from there. Leave this work on the house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I issue a decree concerning what you are to do for these elders of Judah and the rebuilding of this house of God. The full cost is to be paid to these people from the royal treasury, out of the taxes of the provinces beyond the river, and that without delay. Whoever is needed, both young bulls, rams, and lambs for a burnt offering to the God of heaven, and wheat, salt wine, and anointing oil, as the priests in Jerusalem request, it is to be given to them daily without fail, that they may offer acceptable sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. And I issue a decree that any man who violates this edict, a timber shall be drawn from his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a refuge heap on account of this. May the God whose cause his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who attempts to change it, so as to destroy this house of God in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have issued the decree, let it be carried out with all diligence. Then Tetania, the governor of the province beyond the river, Sheterabananza, and their colleagues carried out the decree with all diligence, just as King Darius had sent. And the elders of the Jews were successful in building. Through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Iddu, and they finished building according to the command of God of Israel and the decree of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar, and it was the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. I have to be honest with you, I really debated to read through that whole thing. A lot of difficult names, but this is a story, a narrative, that we're reading here. Now remember, they had gone sixteen years without rebuilding. Haggai and Zechariah had come back as a prophets of God and they heard the word of God and they went back to work. And then the opposition, these people came asking questions. And we read this read the letter they sent to King Darius and the response back that Darius sent back to them. Now, the way of introduction, just bear with me. In Exodus 28, you can read the description of the priestly garments. Specifically in verse 30, you can read about the breast piece of judgment. It says this, you shall put in the breast piece of judgment, the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. And Aaron shall carry the judgment of the sons over Israel, over his heart before the Lord continually. Now those two words of announcing right, Urim and Thummim, are two untranslated Hebrew words. They could possibly mean light and perfection, but no one knows what these stones really look like or exactly how they work. All we do know is they use them to understand what God's will is. Somehow they use them to determine what God's will was and what will he would bless. And you also find these same stones mentioned back in chapter 2 of Ezra in verse 63. Now, keep that in mind. Because this happened on a particular Sunday, a, a young man was home from seminary. He was visiting his local church, full of all this biblical knowledge. And he was ready to let anyone know, that would listen to him, all the knowledge that he's attained. Sound familiar? <laughs> so, uh this so happened that they were talking about this very thing, and uh he... After service, he gathered a group around him. He started telling the people all the different theories that scholars have about the Urim and the Thummim and how they would use them to determine what God's will is and what he would bless. And so he's talking about all these different theories with this group of people. And an older, wiser gentleman hears the conversation, and he says this. Son, I don't know about all that fancy stuff you're talking about. I know that somehow, by God's design, in the days of the priests, he made it so they would have to use the Urim and Thummim to determine God's will that he would bless. But here's what else I know. I know that it works almost the same way today. And before he could finish his thought, the young theologian spoke up and said, yes. But instead of working through the Urim and the Thummim today, God reveals his will through using and Thummim. Using God's word and Thummim through his pages. Ha, ha, ha. But here's the point. God blesses obedience to his word. When the remnant heard the word of God through Zechariah and Haggai, they got to work. And even when some Persian officials came and questioned them, who gave you this authority? Then they asked for a list of names, which could be somewhat intimidating. But they were not deterred, were they? they? They gave him that. They knew that they had clearly... Heard God's will through the proclamation of his word, and they did not ignore it. And when we see God's will in his word, as we read his word, we must do what they do. Do not ignore it. Put it into practice. God blessed them because this time they didn't ignore it, stall it, or delay. And let me just encourage you as we get started. Do not put off what God is pressing upon your heart and your mind. And let me tell you, some things he's going to ask you to do is going to pull you out of your comfort zone. Because he wants to pull you and stretch you. Because he wants you to get to that place where you completely trust him. Without any delay, without any question, God, I know this is what you want me to do. And we see in our story that God blessed the remnant with a fair assessment. You see that in chapter 5, verse 6 through chapter 6, verse 5. And the first part of this introduces the letter that was sent. And the content of the letter goes from verse 6 all the way to the end of the chapter. Verses 8 and 10, I want you to point out something that I kind of overlooked the first time. They let the king know what they saw what was going on. They so said what was happening in Jerusalem. This group of people were building a house... Or some translations, were in really that temple to the great God, and they described a little about the description of the destruction. I mean, the uh, uh, construction. There was some. It was not a uh, flimsy structure. It wasn't fragile or weak. It was built with great stones, high-quality building materials, and it was really surprised to see all this work going on, considering the small group of people, and the work was going on very efficiently and quickly. Here's my point. They gave a fair and honest description of what they saw happening. Now, verses 11 through 16 moves from the description of the work to what Zerubbabel and Joshua said when they answered about it. They actually reported, look at the text, they actually reported exactly what they said. And Zerubbabel and Joshua were actually honest about how they got to where they're at. They said we had been dishonest. We had had been obedient to this God. We were taken off in the captivity. And notice what they did. They reported everything that they said. Even every mention and reference to God. Now that got me thinking, which is kind of dangerous sometimes. What if our media today was to report the facts and give a fair assessment about what's going on without interjection of a political agenda. I think they can learn something here. They could definitely learn something. They they told the king honestly what was going on. And verse 17 closes the letter, suggesting the king Darius should do a follow-up. Check the archives, O king, to see what they're saying is true. That's a fair thing to do. So that's what King Darius did. The first five verses of chapter six record Darius's reply back to them. Now, you have to remember, this wasn't like the mail we have today. <laughs> it took about three or maybe four months for these letters go back and forth between each other. So There's a lot of time going on. But he followed their advice and he searched the archives and he found out everything that the remnant had told these two was exactly true. And we can learn something here. They came up asking the two leaders, Rubel and Jesuit, what's going on? Who gave you authority? Give me a list of names. And they were honest, they didn't back down, and they told them the truth. Something we can learn as Christians, when someone comes to you and asks you questions about your faith, we should be honest and upfront and tell them. When someone comes asking our questions about why we believe about creation or the Bible or Jesus, not only should we tell them what we believe, but we should point them to Scripture to tell them that not only what we believe, but why we believe it. It's apologetics. Now, not everyone will give us a fair assessment, but this, I'll tell you this. If we tell them the truth, some will respond. Because they give the Bible a fair assessment and look at all the evidence before them for creation for the claims of Jesus, they'll come to the conclusion that this is the truth. Jesus said himself that he is what? Truth. But sometimes, and some people won't give you a fair assessment. They'll make every excuse under the sun. For example, one time at work, I was talking to somebody. And they were asking me why I was a pastor, why I was a chap and all, why you believe what you believe. And we had this interchange going on. Now, he made a statement that he did not believe the Bible was God's word, that it had error in it. Now, remember that. Because later in our discussion, you know what he did? He pulled in Scripture to support his argument. And I said, hold on, time out. You said you don't believe in this thing. You can't use it to support your argument. And he looked at me with that dumb look on it. Huh? I said, listen to what you're saying. And we shouldn't come out confrontational. We should do it in spirit and the truth. But here's the problem. We should invite people to, to come together with God's church because this building is not the church. You are the church. It's very important to come to worship. But so oftentimes in the past, people invite other people to come to church and they rely on the pastor to tell them about the gospel, which, by the way, I take very seriously and I will do it. But the first port of contact is you. Tell the people. Why are you even inviting them? Why is it important to you? Who is this Jesus? Why do you care? Why do you care whether they end up in eternity? Speak to them. You know, and I said this last week, as Southern Baptists, we always have claimed historically we are people of the book. We should all, as Christians, be able to lead someone to the Lord. And it's okay to say, hey, I don't know. I'll find out. There are still questions I don't know the jury's still out on. But the most important questions about eternity, destiny, who, we, who do we trust for our salvation? Those are basic questions we should all be able to answer and why we believe that. My point being that the remnant this time did not delay. They got right to work. And when these questions came, God gave them the boldness. They didn't shrink down. They didn't run away. They sat there and told them exactly everything, even where they failed. Did you catch that? Is it easy to tell somebody when you fail? Oh, come on, guys. We always want to put our best foot forward, don't we? That's the reason. Now, bear with me. This is going to sting. Dating somebody is a lot different than being married to them and living day in and day out with them. Am I right? Because then you find out all the imperfections, and if we want to call them that. There was a line in a movie one time. Hollywood gets it right every now and then. The guy was talking to a younger person. He said, you know... My wife passed away some years ago, and those little imperfections that we call them is the things I miss the most about her. Isn't that true? Just the little things that we tend to miss. But at this story, they were being upfront and honest, didn't hold anything back. God blessed them for it. And they got a fair assessment. In Psalm chapter 73, the psalmist is proclaiming about the seeming unfairness of life. And in verses 2 and 3 he writes, But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, my steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, or boasters, as I saw the prosperity of their wicked. Have you gotten upset? Or well, let's just be honest. Have you got envious or maybe just a little bit jealous when you see people don't give God the time of day, prosper in this life? Okay. You see all these things going on? That's what the psalmist is talking about. But later down in verses 16 through 19, he saw the ultimate fairness. Look what it says in 73, verse 16. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God that I perceived therein. Surely you said in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction, how they are destroyed in a moment. So what he's talking about is that final day of reckoning. This is not all there is. Like Jesus said, what should a profit a man if he should gain the whole world but lose his soul? I believe us what the psalmist is getting at here. And I believe we'll the remnant, the children of Israel, when they come back off there, everything they've been through, they're starting to get a glimpse of that. If we're faithful to God and we're obedient to his word, he's going to bless us and take care of us. Now, sometimes God doesn't do the things we wish he'd do this way or that way. But he does bless us when we're obedient to his word. Because what's the goal of all this? What's our goal? What's the end zone, if you will, of Christianity? Where do we want to go? Where does everybody want to go? Heaven! This is not my home. My problem is, sometimes I've gotten too comfortable here. Well, I want a big TV like that guy's got a TV. I want a new car like that guy has a new car. Ever felt that way, or am I the only one? But once again, I just want to stress the fact that when you look at the story, the leaders held nothing back. They told the exact story of what had happened up to this point. Because they did that in verses 6 through 13 of chapter 6, God blesses the remnant with a fervent advocate. There is, he continues his response by telling the people, hey, leave the Jews alone. Let them continue on the work of God's house or his temple. However, this is not all what he says about this manner. Look what he says. He commanded them to finance it. The taxes that you're going to pay me, Pay them with it to help finance this building. Woo wee. But not only that, he went so far to threaten anyone who stood in the rim this way. Look at verse 11 of chapter 6. I, this is Darius speaking, I issued a decree that any man who violates this edict, a timber shall be drawn from his house and he shall be impaled on it. And his house shall be made a refuse heap or rubble on account of this. Now, this is interesting. That translation, shall be impaled, is really uncertain in the, when you're trying to translate right from Hebrew into English. But make no mistake about it. There's a severe penalty going on if you interfere with this work. And by the way, I couldn't help myself. I put impaled in the search on Webster Dictionary, and I hit it, and this is what it said. Repser's definition of impaled is to torture or kill by fixing a sharp stake. So whoever has in mind, it looks like your house is going to be torn down, you might lose your life. It's what Darius is saying. If you get in the way of this work, see what God is doing? They're honest, they have a fair assessment. Now they've gained an advocate in King Darius. God is working behind the scenes. They had no idea what the king was going to say. I mean that letter went off, right? It was some weeks before they had to answer back. They don't know what they're human beings like we are. And so you know they had questions going on in their minds. What's the king going to do? Is he going to back us up? Is he he's going to come in and tell us to stop and all this work's going to be in the, but they kept going. And can I just say this to you? Anything you do for God is never in vain. Never God promises word will not go out without well, out of accomplishing what it wants it And if we don't see it here in this room or We don't see it in our life in this life What you're doing what you're striving for when you're working for God is never never in vain you hear that song Thank you for serving the Lord. I think it was and this person goes to heaven and person after person came up and said thank you because of your witness I came to the Lord and I'm here today. You never know what influences you're having. Perhaps you ever got a phone call one time and someone's talking to you and talks all this good. You're like, you talking? you talking you talk about me. But when you're faithful, God will bless you in ways you can't possibly even imagine. But he does work. But get this. King Darius was not their biggest advocate. They were being obedient, so their biggest advocate, their strongest advocate, was God. But here's the thing. By them being honest and following God and being obedient to God, that put them on his side. See, when we pray and we ask God, it's not about necessarily trying to change God's mind, but bending our will to his will. Because God will always answer prayers, yes or no, or how about this? When we pray, we ought to say, God, whatever it is that you want, this is what I petition you for, God. I'd like to see this happen, but nonetheless, remember what Jesus prayed in the garden? What did he say? God, if there's any other way that this can happen and take place, please take this cup from me. I don't want to die. I'm, You know, his human flesh, I'm sure he was somewhat scared about the pain and everything threatening him. But what did he say at the end of that? As he's sweating drops of blood, and by the way, that's been proven by medical science. that someone's under a lot of duress, you can actually bleed from the forehead with drops of blood. All that stress and all that weight falling down on him. And there he was. Even his closest three disciples kept falling asleep. What did he say? Take this from me, Father, But your will, not mine, be done. Was of a church, as a church, we pray that God, this is what we like to see happen. But not our will. Your will be done. Romans chapter eight, verses thirty one through thirty-four. We have an advocate as well who's God. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. When you come to Christ... And you obey God's word and his will. You come to Christ. You give him your life, everything. So I want you to be Lord. And By the way, you can't separate Lord and Savior. It's both. Lord and Savior. He sits at the right hand of God interceding for you. Constantly. Daily. No matter what is going on. Think about this for a second. And I've used this before, but it bears repeating. If you want to have a meeting with the president, I don't care who the president is, what, if you just wanted to go meet the, how about the governor? Or how about even a state senator? Or let's even strike it further home. How about a mayor of a city? How much red tape would you have to go through to get there? And how much time would they actually give you? A whole day? An afternoon? Five minutes? We have the very one who created all this who spoke at all resistance? we can go to him any time, and he's there to listen and to respond. And there's no hiding anything from him because he knows it before you even speak it. I've said this before. What would you do right now, dial? I'll pick on dial again. If your name came up here, exactly what you're thinking of this moment came across the screen. I wish Tim would hurry up because I'm awfully hungry. I'm just picking at you, brother. But that's the information that we have. See, there's no pretending with God. That's the reason I encourage you. Don't wait until in your eyes you think you're good enough, because you'll never be good enough. That's why Jesus died, because we never can be good enough. There's not a place that we can ever attain. But you come to him as you are, and you lay it all down. You lay down your pride, and he will change you, and he will begin to clean you up. But you have... To be obedient to his will god is patient the word says not wanting anyone to perish but for all to come to everlasting life this is a very hard thing to say but even those ones who committed these awful they say protest they burn it down but he loves them this is as much as he loves you and me he doesn't want them to perish either. He wants them all to come to everlasting life through His Son. We have one that is more powerful than Darius, as effective and as powerful as that king Edict was to the people about what he was going to do if they stopped this work. You see, when you're obedient, no enemy can stand against you. They may stand against you, but they cannot stand because when you stand with God and obedient to his word and his will, you're standing in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ himself. See, the authority and power of this message is not because of me, Tim Neal. It's because it's God's word. I'm just a messenger. The authority and power rests with the king who sent that. That's God himself. That's why the word is so powerful. And lastly, we see that God blessed the remnant with full accomplishment. Look what it says. They finished building according to what? The the command of the God of Israel. Think about this. After all those years of exile, after all those years in rubble, after the long journey from Babylon, after the 16-year delay, after all those things that took them about four years to finish, it is now done. Now there was a place standing where they could worship God. A place that would stand as a testimony to let people know the God of Israel is there and his name is Yahweh. What a glorious day that must have been. What a glorious day. Twenty years ago when they first started building the foundation, they faced the opposition. They stood strong, but they gave credit to Cyrus, giving authority, not God. And then they submitted to the the second opposition that came their way. They quit working for 16 years because they were building under the wrong authority. Instead of recognizing authority came from God. But look at them now. They did it. Not what they wanted. Not according to what they liked, their personal taste. But look at the text says, according to the command of the God of Israel. They learned to be obedient to the word of God. And when they were obeyed the word of God, he blessed them. He blessed them with a fair assessment, a fervent advocate, and above all else, he blessed them with full accomplishment. The temple was finally rebuilt after everything that had happened. Isn't it amazing to you that God didn't say, Oh, and walk away? Through all this, God kept working, kept moving. And when the people responded, he was there to welcome them back. And God's love and his mercy, and this is the Old Testament, by the way, astound me. So what is God's will for your life? First is to have a personal relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Not your parents' faith, not your sister or brother's faith, but your faith, your personal relationship. And everything else flows from that relationship. But after you give yourself and give your heart to God through His Son is to hunger for His word, to spread the gospel, to faithfully use your gifts for the building of his church, to edify and build each other up, and to worship Him by being a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to Him. How are you going to fully accomplish His will for your life? Versus obedience. Obey him in the things you know you're supposed to. then he'll take the rest, he'll take care of all the rest. What does Matthew 6:33 say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. You keep your focus on me, Tim. You keep your focus on me, Forestburg Baptist Church, and everything else will take care of itself. But be obedient to me. Be faithful where he's called you. Be receptive to where he is leading you. And be responsive when he is drawing you or calling you. The remnant delayed. They quit. Of the second opposition. They walked away. It cost them 16 years. What a waste of precious time. Do not delay. If, it's not a question of if. If. I know God's calling you to something, if not salvation, another area of your life that you're holding on too tight. Don't delay. Respond to him now. Because there is a time coming, dear beloved. There's a day of reckoning coming, and coming very soon. Now is the time to seek repentance and restoration. He is here. With his arms open wide, ready to welcome you back no matter what you've done. Now, there's different consequences of sin. You'll have to work through that. But God will forgive you. And he'll remove your sins as far as the east is from the west and remember them no more. With all this COVID-19 and now all this stuff happening around our country, we can sit so bogged down and go, what we're going to do, what we're going to do. I would suggest to you that this is a perfect opportunity to witness to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can pass all the laws you want. By the way, we should have laws. But you can pass all the laws you want. But no law of man can change the human heart. It cannot be done. There's only one person can do that, and that's God himself. If we want to see us get along with our fellow neighbors, if we want to see our society to come together more, we have to have that love of God in us that we're showing everybody else. You can't go any other way. It starts with us and our relationship with God first, and then it goes horizontal to our fellow, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to those who don't even know. What is God calling you to? Was he drawing you right now? right now? you can feel it. Can you feel God is kind of tugging on your heart about something? Maybe there's someone to pray for. Maybe there's a situation. Maybe you just burden what you see happening in our country and God's calling you to come down and pray. Maybe get together and pray. And seek God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the greatest gift of all, your only son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray as you draw us as individuals and as a church, for those watching via internet, dear God, I pray that they will feel your presence, that they will feel your mighty arms of love and peace. Embrace them as you draw them close to your side. And as you reveal things in our hearts and our minds, Father, we'll be quick to ask forgiveness and repent of them. And, Father, I pray for everyone in this room and people that are watching, if there's someone has never given their lives to you, has never given their lives to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray this will be the day that they do that. I pray if there's anything we're holding back from you, we'll let go. And let you have complete control. You have proven yourself trustworthy time and time and time again. We need to learn to let go and give you every area of our life, both as individuals and as a church. Continue to draw people unto yourself, O God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?